you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, there you go. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, we're going to be looking at ways to do that. We've got some great questions today from people who are wondering how they can live out their passion, how they can monetize that, how they can get out of being stuck. Well, if you've got questions like that, stick around. Each week, we unpack some of the questions you, the listeners, submit. Look at ways we can all move to higher levels of success. Ways we can know our passion, live life fully, laugh readily, work with joy, make a difference in the world every day, make better decisions, live with fewer regrets. Those are the kind of things we're going to be looking at here today. Thanks for your questions. If you got a question you'd like to have uh, considered in an upcoming podcast, just go to the 48days.com link, click on podcast. You can submit it there. Here's some of the things we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to title our theme is be careful about hitting your goal. I'll tell you why in a minute. Someone asked, my new husband is stuck in the mind frame of what's normal. On paper, my life looks amazing, but I continue to be unsatisfied with my dream career. Dan, I can't shake the self-loathing that comes from knowing my pay is merely stolen wages. Now, hang on. You're going to be interested in that one. My pay is merely stolen wages. I'll tell you why. I can't for the life of me figure out how to monetize my passions. Dan, how can you differentiate between naysayers, whiners, versus realist and intuitionist? So how do we know if someone has a legitimate criticism of what we're doing or if they're just a whiner because their own success level is so low? Well, here's a quotation from Les Brown, who said, most people fail in life, not because they aim too high and miss, but because they aim too low and hit it. Wow. How many people do you know who have such low goals, low expectations? They're never disappointed. They save themselves the disappointment and frustration of not hitting goals by just setting their goals so low. That's not where I want to be. I want to set my goals so high that I've got about a 50-50 chance of hitting it. That means I got about a 50-50 chance of not hitting it. But here, let me just frame that real quickly. If you are working, let's say that you're making $60,000 a year and you decide that you want to make $100,000 this year, 2013. So you Put some things in place and you get out here and do some part-time stuff. You do some freelance work. So you're, you're creeping up from 60, man, your goal is to hit a hundred. We get to December 23rd. We have a week left and you realize you're going to end up at about 85,000, not a hundred, but about 85,000. Now keep in mind, last year you made 60 this year. You're going to make 85, but you aren't going to hit your goal of 100. Have you failed? See, that's how we have to frame moving toward new levels of achievement. Any progression you make is by definition success instantly. So it's not failing. We move toward 
higher levels. So set your goals high. If you don't hit them, that's fine. It works as a motivator to keep you moving in another direction. But don't allow yourself to think that you failed if you only got partway there. No, it's just part of the process, part of your journey toward success. Well, here's a success story. Each week, I like to start out with something that uh, lets you know it's not just all problems out there. There are people that are doing amazing things. This comes from Jordan, who says, this note is overdue, but thank you for answering my Evernote workshop question on your podcast, recommending Howard Chinson's book, and for sending me a copy of Social Media for School Leaders. Thanks for going above and beyond to help me out. Yet one more way you've inspired me by your example. Not quite sure the direction I'll take with the workshop idea, but you've certainly given me a lot to work with. On a side note, now listen to this. Jordan says, on a side note, a few months ago, I took some of your ideas and created my dream job. And I presented them to my school's president. Yesterday, he offered me a new position that, quote, he created along with a 14% base increase that's negotiable with additional project stipends. I've reread the show me the money chapter in 48 days to the work you love at least 10 times since yesterday to get some creative compensation ideas. And I'm looking forward to the negotiations. Thanks to you. Keep inspiring Jordan. Well, thanks for your note, Jordan. Now listen to that. So he he didn't just sabotage his current job. He didn't just hate his job and just go out and hope there's something better. No. Created his dream job that could be possible in the environment where he's already working. Presented that, the boss comes back and says, hey, guess what? I created this new position, which is exactly what he had presented to the school's president. 14% base increase. Now, that's pretty significant, and most people are scrambling to get 2 to 3% increase these days. 14%, Jordan knows that's negotiable, and then also some project work that'll bring in additional bonuses. What a cool story. Yes, in this economy. Yes, in these trying times. Well, I hope you're motivated and encouraged by the stories you hear here each week. People who are getting those unexpected increases because they're doing extraordinary work. They're doing remarkable work. They're knowing clearly what it is they want to move to. They go out here. I mean, last week we shared about a guy who sent out his 20 job search letters And immediately got two people who called him, interviewed him, and both offered him jobs. One was an exact dream job that he wanted. And his embarrassment was, how does he handle now the other 18 people that he said he'd be following up with? How do you handle letting people know, ooh, wow, I had such instant success. I'm not really looking for a job anymore. Thanks, but no thanks. I mean, those are the kind of stories that we're hearing here. Well, let's move on. Elisa from Cambridge, Ohio says, Dan, my fiance and I are getting married in a month and I've been trying to think of ways to make extra income. We both have minimum wage jobs and our income is pretty pitiful. Pretty pitiful. Can't say that. I'm trying to use my art to help us, but I can't seem to convince my fiance that he can also use his awesome singing talent to do the same. He's stuck in the mind frame of what's normal. That you're supposed to hate your job and your dream job is just that, a dream. I believe we can both get to a point where we can move into art and singing full time. 
I've tried to come up with some ideas for him, like giving vocal lessons or singing at weddings, but he's not interested. Do you have any words of wisdom? Yes, I do, Elisa. And here's how I'm going to lay this out. Now, with your fiance's current mindset, I would never encourage him to quit his job and pursue music as his primary focus. Hmm. Does that surprise you? Is this really Dan Meller who tells us to move toward our passion? Yes, but keep in mind, whenever I talk about moving toward your passion, I say, yes, it has to also embrace your talent. And then the third leg of the stool, remember that? What's your economic model? What's your model for making that work? Now, here's the deal. With your fiance's current mindset, it'll set the stage and the expectation for what is normal for musicians. And that's being broken frustrated. So I'm not going to pursue, I'm not going to encourage that. I would recommend you guys stair-step your way to success. Determine what it is that you do that has remarkable value for a company. Position yourself for success there. Each step of success will give you more confidence, boldness, and enthusiasm. So yeah, then along the way, you'll start seeing ways to leverage your art and music skills. You'll train yourself to have those eyes to see what others miss. You'll recognize your art has a a calming, peaceful effect on people. So you become the artist who shows up at dental conventions and makes $100,000 selling art for dental waiting rooms. And your fiancé will audition to be on The Voice. And now he has Blake Shelton as his personal coach. But those things come, though, as we expand our expectations and our level of belief and vision. So just because you have a little bit of passion in an area... Yeah, you've got to have a lot more than just that to move into that and have it be successful. So stair-step your way up. You know, everybody needs a coach. I mean, I I talked about, you know, maybe your fiancé will get Blake Shelton as his coach by being on The Voice. I mean, wouldn't that be cool to have a coach like that who really came alongside you, really believed in you? You know, Tom Olds from uh, Pennsylvania sent in a a clip. It's, It's one of the Ted talks where Bill Gates talks about it. And he says, I had to listen to the first 48 seconds. I got that clip right here. I'm going to play that. And then I'll tell you a couple of reasons why I think it fits. Everyone needs a coach. It doesn't matter whether you're a basketball player, a tennis player, a gymnast, or a bridge player. (laughs) My bridge coach, Sharon Osberg, says there are more pictures of the back of her head than anyone else is in the world. (laughs) Sorry, Sharon. Here you go. We all need people who will give us feedback. That's how we improve. Unfortunately, there's one group of people who get almost no systematic feedback to help them do their jobs better. And these people have one of the most important jobs in the world. I'm talking about teachers. When Melinda and I learned how little useful feedback most teachers get, we were blown away. Until recently, over 98% of teachers just got one word of feedback, satisfactory. If all my bridge coach ever told me was that I was satisfactory, I would have no hope of ever getting better. How would I know who is the best? How would I know what I was doing differently? Today, districts are revamping the way they evaluate teachers, but we still give them almost no feedback 
that actually helps them improve their practice. Our teachers deserve better. Well, that was Bill Gates again at a TED Talk talking about how we need to revamp education. But I like that clip for a lot of reasons. Tom, thanks for alerting me to that again. We all do need a coach. Think about how many people there are out there who do not get honest feedback. They don't get challenged. They don't get good instruction about how to become better. They just are doing what's normal and they just keep moving along at that. So I encourage you, if you're in art or if you're in music or you want to be a coach, we just had a great group of people here for our Coaching with Excellence event. And I had, one of the things I encourage coaches to do. Now, these are people who are life coaches, career coaches, nutrition coaches, sports coaches, relationship coaches, and so on. I encourage every coach to have a coach. Look for somebody to coach you. I can't remember a time in my history where I didn't have a coach working with me on some area of my life where I wanted improvement. I love having coaches work with me. Having coaches work with me makes me a better coach. Being the student helps me see what I respond to, what I get irritated at. It helps me be a better coach. So find somebody to coach you in those areas where you want improvement. It's a great way to move up quickly. Well, Jordan from Vancouver, British Columbia says, Dan, thanks for your podcast. I love listening to the opportunities out there. Currently, I'm in a slipping medical sales environment where it gets harder each day to do my job due to more and more government regulations. On the side, I started a soccer league that has grown to over 400 people over two years for me and a friend of mine. It provides nice extra income. We love organizing it. On paper, my life looks amazing. I got married nine months ago, but I continued to continued to be unsatisfied with my dream career. Many days are slow and I sometimes feel like my talents aren't being utilized. Any thoughts on what I can do to get better and maximize my gifts? How can I raise the bar when at a career level, I run into roadblocks and brick walls every day? Thanks, your friend Jordan. Well, Jordan, if you're in a sales environment, you say that you're in a slipping medical sales environment where it gets harder and harder each day due to government regulation. If you have sales skills, you have the most valuable, most easily transferable skills in the world. Do a job search for a more appealing sales position. I mean, we all have those roadblocks and brick walls to contend with. We have to have a clear sense, though, of what we're moving to. So be real clear on what you, where you want to be three years from now. That'll help you. Not just look at what's happening today, but what you're moving to. So having a clear sense of what you want your life to look like three years from now, that will help you keep moving through those little daily challenges. So get out of the, your own version of Groundhog Day, as you describe, where every day you're just going and just kind of eking out a living and doing something that you don't really enjoy. Yeah, Look at your most remarkable area of competence, that being your sales skills, Get another position that leverages that. Now, I, I took a quick look at your soccer league. Yeah, it looks like you got some cool things happening there. I mean, continue to do that. But again, when we look at these at ways to make our lives meaningful, purposeful, and profitable, it's not a matter of just stopping everything we're doing and hoping we can figure out something that's just re- somehow related to that one little area of passion that we have. 
it's not unreasonable at all to just do a great job in what you're doing. Now, you're going to hear me talk about that with a couple more upcoming questions here, and, and it may surprise you a little bit, but I've had some situations just recently where I've encountered people who are in really great jobs. And when we talk about following your passion, it doesn't mean, well, forget the job. You know, we'll figure out some little tiny niche here that has to do with your art or music or whatever it happens to be, you know, growing dandelions or carving wood. Those are all fine things, but it doesn't mean that we need to just focus on those 100%. I mean, life is a compilation of success in many areas of our life. So in as much as I talk about the importance of work, that in itself is just simply one tool for successful life. What you're doing physically in your relationships, what you're doing as a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, or whatever roles you're playing, those things define our success as much as what we're doing work-wise or how much money we have in the bank. So don't think that our success is defined by just the one thing that we do, even work-wise, no matter what that is. So there can be a variety of things. And some of these things may be hobbies. Some of these things may be activities that are worthwhile, humanitarian, and godly, but they don't pay anything. That's perfectly fine. Don't strangle those by trying to turn them into your only source of income generation. David asks, We've got a bunch of these, believe me. It says, Dan, I just recently rediscovered your books and podcast after listening to your interview on the Beyond the To-Do pod, on Beyond the To-Do list podcast. Let's see, that's uh, that would be Eric Fisher. I've got a conundrum and would love your advice. I work for the federal government. Now listen to how he describes this. This is, this is pretty graphic. I work for the federal government as a well-paid graphic and web designer. I've been with the VA now for four years. It's meaningful work and it's work that I really enjoy doing as a side business too. Unfortunately, I'm miserable. I hate my hour plus commute each way every day and can't shake the self-loathing that comes from knowing my pay is merely the stolen wages from those business owners who create value in the world. Quotations, taxation. How's that a way to frame how you're being paid. My pay is merely the stolen wages from those business owners who create value in the world. Wow, you that's a radical political position. You've gone you've gone beyond right. Maybe libertarian or something. Well, we won't go into the political ramifications, but anyway, we know how you how you feel in the way that you've described your work, David. I would like to work for myself, ideally from home or while on the road and do something extraordinary that creates value in the world. I like graphic design and I'm good at it, but also really like my academic pursuits and writing both in Judeo-Christian theology history and in leadership theory. But my wife is, and rightfully so, worried about us losing our insurance and the security that comes with federal employment if I try to start something on my own. All right, David, here's what I would recommend. There's a book, new book out called Decisive. I would recommend you pick it up. I loved it. It's by Chip and Dan Heath Brothers. They're kind of academicians, economists. They do great research. But here's the deal. They show how short-sighted we typically are in making decisions. We look at A or B. Should I stay in a job I loathe or jump into working for myself? Then having to handle the uncertainty, getting your own insurance, etc. Well, what about decisions, opportunities, C through Z? That's where they say the best choices often lie. So I want you to come up with 20 other 
possibilities for things you can do. Let's say that you're making $4,000 a month. Now, if you're making $2,000 a month on the side with your graphic design, then I'd say, go ahead, quit your job, ramp up your freelance work, and we can deal with the insurance. Trust me. But I'm not recommending you go from your current job to nothing. In the Coaching with Excellence event that we just had here, I had my good friend, Kent Julian, talk. Kent, about seven years ago now, was working with a church denomination. He was making about $60,000 a year. And he really wanted to leave and do some other things. But he promised his wife, Kathy, that he would never drop below that income, no matter what. He wouldn't drop below 60. If he started coaching and speaking some of the things we were working on, and wasn't making that, he'd get a job mowing yards or washing windows, whatever, he, whatever it took so he wouldn't drop below 60. So the first year, on the side, he made an extra $4,000. Again, he was making 60. He made an extra 4000 The next year, he made an extra $24,000. The next year, he made an extra $75,000. Now, guess when he quit his job? It was in the third year when his sideline work surpassed his regular salary and income. The next year he went on to make 150 and now, you know, he's on track. He does like 220, 230 in that arena. So what I would recommend for you is first that you would transition into getting another job. You can't be fully alive, fully creative, or fully optimistic while in a daily job that you loathe. It just can't happen. I mean, that will reduce your creativity, your willingness to stretch, and your ability to see all the possibilities. So you say you like graphic design, you're good at it. Here's what I'd do. You've got that hour plus commute every way. I mean, kill that. Draw a circle. Take, take a pen with a string have one point at your house, go 15 minutes from your house and draw a circle. In that circle, identify 30 to 40 companies that you'd be excited about being connected with. Go through the job search, introduction letter, cover letter, resume, phone follow-up, find another job with an organization you're proud to be a part of, where you love their mission and their public perception. But then, don't look at that new job as the only thing you're doing. Work on creating a reputation for yourself. Establish your own website and identity as a great designer. Be so fully up and running that it would be seamless for you to quit that job should you choose to do so. That's a great transition. That, that's certainly what Kent Julian did and what we've, we've seen a lot of other people do. Well, James from Brandon Mississippi says, <laughs> I got stuck here. He, he also says in here that he's frozen in time or frozen in fear. He says, I've been at the same company for 11 years. For many years now, I've not liked the work. How do I overcome the fear of going somewhere else after so many years? Well, just like I described there, making a transition for David, you know, you've got two choices, really. Now, again, we could go on with 20 other choices, but let me just identify a couple that are easy to grab. Either learn to like the work you're doing now or give yourself 48 days to have a new job. Then give your two-week notice and move on. I mean, your fear is unrealistic. 
it, it's an artificial trap. I mean, nobody's trapped. You hear the stories here week after week about people getting multiple job offers so quickly they're embarrassed to tell the other companies that they sent advance letters to. I mean, now is a wonderful time to be doing something else. Don't let fear trap you artificially in what you're doing. Again, if you're in something where you dislike it, you've disliked it for 11 years, you can't be your best self. You are not doing your best work. You're not at your most creative. You're putting blinders on that are blinding you to new opportunities. Start spending time with people who are performing at higher levels. But go through the job search process again that I lay out in 48 days. Just get out there. Be confident in 48 days. You can break this cycle. You can have two or three new job offers. Choose from that. Move into the next chapter of your life. Brandon from Lake Orion, Michigan says, with a website and small budget, my plan is to sell pro scooters. Now, Brandon has a really interesting question here says, my plan is to sell pro scooters and skate shop items to generate income, and I'll eventually open a retail location. Once my retail store opens, I will expand my product lines to include bicycles and motorsports. I also want to use this store as a platform to host community events for suicide prevention and anti-bullying and create a community based around these sports hobbies. My question is how to promote the business without appearing to use these crisis preventions as marketing schemes. I want to post resources on my website for suicide prevention and anti-bullying, and I want to engage in social media, but I do not want to appear as if I'm using these avenues to drive business. Okay, Brandon. I mean, think about it. There's a whole lot of people that promote causes as part of their business. I mean, every musician I know when you go to a concert has some kind of worthy cause that they're promoting and raising funds for. I mean, when you see Bono from U2 promoting the Red Campaign or One.org, do you think he's just using that as a marketing scheme to sell more albums? I mean, this month, I've got the new issue of Success Magazine laying here in my desk, and this month, Matt Damon is on the front cover. Well, we know that he has been a phenomenal actor in all kinds of movies. You know what he wants to talk? All he wants to talk about is water.org, the organization he founded to provide clean water to everyone in the world. And that's his goal, to provide clean water to everyone in the world. Is he serious about that cause? Or is he just, you know, being a slick guy so he can get more great movie roles? Well, I think he's serious about the cause. I mean, I think you're being too hard on yourself in, in trying to separate these two. You can blend these two. I mean, seldom do I go into uh, Taco Bell, one of my fine eating establishments that I frequent <laughs> often. Seldom do I go into Taco Bell without being asked if I want to give an extra dollar for dishing out meals or fight in hunger in our community or to buy a shamrock for muscular dystrophy. I mean, seldom does that happen. I had a niece who committed suicide a few years ago. Her sister, my niece, who is an artist, did a poster that was then adopted as the national poster for suicide prevention. It put her on the map as an artist and opened a whole lot of other doors. Now, does anyone think that she just used that tragic event 
to put herself on the map as an artist. I mean, if anyone thinks that, I'd like to meet him in a back alley at 11 o'clock tonight. I mean, that experience forever changed her. And that cause, suicide prevention, is now an integral part of who she is. If you're honest about your approach to these causes, then hold your head high. Blend them into your business. You can run an honorable for-profit business and still be very involved in the support of worthy causes. They're not mutually exclusive. When people come here for events, I mean, my wife, Joanna, is going to talk about her passion for the work that our son Jared is doing in Africa and the jewelry that's being created through his Kaza organization. I mean, we have that jewelry here. She sells hundreds of dollars worth of jewelry every time we have an event here. Not because we're trying to con people, they're sitting in the chairs here at the sanctuary, but because she shares from her heart how passionate she is about that and what the, the funds from the sales of that jewelry does in terms of changing the lives of the ladies who make it. Yeah, you can do the same. Well, golly, we're blasting through here. Sam says, here's my question. You say to follow your passion. I like that but I can't for the life of me figure out how to monetize my passions. I love Bible and theology. I occasionally preach and teach and I love it when I get the opportunity. I always get great feedback from it. How do I make money with this? I'm 36 years old with no formal education above a diploma. I have a wife and seven children and I'm the sole breadwinner. I've been a square peg in a round hole for the last 18 years working in the trades. I enjoy what I do. I've learned to like it. I'm good at it, but it's not what I'm passionate about and I can't quite make it financially. We're always struggling. Sam, you, you present, you know, we ought to write a book together on this and we certainly could. You, you have tapped into so many issues in what you've described here. Let me give you my take on this. And th- this is, this is an area that I probably get more questions in than any other area. Just in the group we had here for Coaching with Excellence this last week, there were more questions about how can I really have a heart of ministry and service and still make a reasonable living? How do you blend those two? Well, I love going there. And as a coach, I mean, I had one of the gals in our coaching mastery program who we did a private coaching session the day before our Coaching with Excellence event. And she was here for, for that, but we did a, a one of her personal coaching sessions. And she says, Dan, you know, she admires what she sees me doing. She says, you really are a pastor. I hear that a lot from people. You hear the kind of questions that we have here, the kind of things that we deal with. Do you think that I deal in my personal coaching and in personal sessions with people, issues that would typically be given to a pastor, yeah, you better believe it. Now, I've never called myself a pastor. You'll never hear me say that. But I have a lot of people that point to me and say, you are a pastor for the community, for the 48days.net.com community. I take that very seriously, that opportunity and responsibility. But here's my response in what you're saying. We need people who love the Bible and theology, who are great mechanics, landscapers, carpenters, plumbers, airline pilots, business owners, coaches. I mean, we've got enough preachers. We need people who are great. 
in the real life arenas of life who love the Bible and theology. Now, in Wisdom Meets Passion, I deal with a question that I get often, you know, where, where people say, Dan, what kind of a role do you see faith or spirituality playing in having a fruitful, rewarding career? Now, I think we often create an artificial dichotomy in which we divide what is spiritual and what is secular. See, I think if we're spiritual beings, then everything in our lives is spiritual. I mean, I'm not a person of faith for 58 minutes on Sunday morning and then just a worker bee the rest of the week. No, my work ought to be an expression of my faith. And trust me, what I'm doing on Thursday morning tells people more about what I believe in value than looking at the back of my head for a few minutes on Sunday does. I mean, I think our work is our best opportunity to live out our calling. It's where we should get a sense of peace, accomplishment, and joy. And, and it's definitely our greatest opportunity for true ministry. We should accept the challenge to use our strongest skills and talents in our daily work. We will experience that sweet spot we all crave and we'll find financial rewards that show up in unexpected ways. Now, in Wisdom Meets Passion, I think it's in chapter two, I quote Dorothy Sayers, who in 1942 wrote an essay titled, Why Work? In that, and I'm quoting now Dorothy Sayers, she says, how can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. End of quote. Now here's my take on you're 36 years old. You have seven children. If you got paid for preaching, it wouldn't be enough to support a wife and seven children. I mean, you'd be expected to be available and on call 24-7, and they're going to pay you $30,000 a year to do that. And your kids would end up resenting the demands in your time and not having new shoes. My encouragement is be excellent at what you do. Make great tables or whatever it is that you do. I don't know what kind of work you do in the trade. I would say be excellent at what you do. Or as St. Francis of Assisi once said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. There's a chapter in No More Mondays that I titled based on an old Quaker saying that says, let your life speak. Now I'll send you a fresh copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. In that, there are, there's two chapters in there that are the stories of pastors who loved, who, who moved from that to work that was more meaningful and more profitable. So Sam, hang in there. You, you can do both. This is one of those clear examples. It's not an either or. Either you just eke out a living in the trades or you become a pastor. No, I'm saying how can you prosper and thrive by being able to share your message, share your heart, but when you have that attached to something that'll provide a decent income for you and your seven children and your wife. Thanks for the question. Great question. Well, Joshua from Toronto, Ontario, Canada says, first off, thanks for all the good work you've been doing. I benefit from your podcast books, 48 days.net community. My success story of following you for the past two years and being part of 48 days community. I've recently started a blog at 
ergonomics advisor to teach wellness and health while doing the work you love. My question is, love this question, Josh. How do you differentiate between naysayers and whiners versus realist and intuitionist? How do you guard your mental positive attitude when you're bombarded with conversations from whiners and procrastinators? Well, this is, I'm going to give you a simple question and just to make it sh- real short so we can move on. But a couple of weeks ago, I had a quotation we used as our theme for the week, quotation from Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn, who said, the fastest way to change yourself is to hang out with people who are already the way you want to be. That's really what I think. When, when you are around a lot of naysayers, whiners, complainers, criticizers, yeah, make sure you don't spend all your time there. Just make sure you're spending time with people who are already performing at the level which you want to perform. Now, if those people criticize the things that you're doing, you probably ought to pay attention. But what you'll usually find is that the people who are criticizing the naysayers are at a much lower level of success than you are already. They're the ones that are trying to keep you down. I mean, that's what happens when you're, you work a job and you say, wow, I'm going to go off. I've, I'm now creating duplicate income. I've already surpassed the income I'm getting here from what I'm doing on the side. I'm now ready to launch that, move into it full time. People say, oh, geez, you can't do that. In this economy, you're crazy to leave a job where you got a guaranteed paycheck. How are you going to get health insurance if you move out on your own? And it goes on and on and on. But it's not people who are out here doing what you want to do that are saying those things. They're saying, hey, of course you can do it. John Mayer, I heard him say one time, I mean, in music, I mean, how many people want to be in music? How many people are saying, well, you can't do that. You can't make a living in music. What they're saying is they're just telling you they haven't been able to make it in music. You don't hear Taylor Swift saying you can't make it in music. Not a chance. You don't hear Blake Shelton saying you can't make it in music or Usher. You only hear that from people who can't do it on their own. We are the, I mean, it's the same thing in art or books. I mean, how many people do I run into say, well, you can't make any money writing a book. Publishing has changed. It's all gone to digital. People expect it for free. You can't make any money writing a book. Well, guess what? I know how much money they made from writing a book. That's all that tells me. You know, it's real easy to be a critic, but it's hard to be a creator. Just make sure that you're a creator. Those people who are critics, yeah, hey, it doesn't take any effort to do that. Being a creator does. Well, just a quick reminder here. This is Dan Miller and the 48 Days Online Radio Show, where every week we unpack your great intriguing compelling questions like we're doing today here unpack them in ways that can move us all to higher levels of success you got a question go to the 48days.com link click on podcast you'll see an opportunity to shoot your question in right there and we'd welcome it in an upcoming show matt says now this is another interesting one here I love the questions you all sent in. Matt says, a month or two ago, you answered a question about my working despair and my gout. I remember that question. 
Matt says, I'm now working on how to get into working for myself. I'm 47, lacking focus. The problem is this. I told you I was a glass engraver. I also do clay modeling, carving, drawing, pyrography. I assume that's some kind of using fire to create images and a host of other crafting hobbies, too many to name. I can't seem to focus on one thing. Worse, I don't know how to present myself as anything anyone would find useful, except perhaps to find some of my projects interesting. My work takes a lot of time to do, which means low production. I'm dying to get on my path, but uncertain about how to go about it. I'm ready to create a website and a project to get started. I just don't know what direction to go in. Any ideas? Yes, focus, focus. I mean, for creative people, it's wonderful to have a lot of ideas, Matt. And that's a great starting point, but ultimately you do have to focus. So if you make a list of 20 things that you can do, run those through a filter. The filter being what you know about yourself. What are your strongest skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies? What are your values, dreams, and passions? It's from those that we can start, start to eliminate ideas. So take that list, narrow down to three or four, do a little bit more research, choose one, put blinders on for the next three years. That's what you're going to focus on. Doesn't mean that you can't do the others. Doesn't mean that you'll never come back to any of the others, but it means that for right now, you're going to focus. This is what you're going to do. Now, in, in Wisdom Meets Passioning, and I talk about, you know, how do you put yourself in a position to act on your passion and wisdom? How do you know when you're ready to step out and do something meaningful to yourself and others? Now, there's a whole lot of aspects of what it takes to be successful, but here's one quick tip that I've got in Wisdom Meets Passion that comes from comedian, well, I say comedian, banjo player. Um, I mean, the guy's a brilliant guy, Steve Martin. Here's what he says. Be undeniably good. When people ask me, how do you make it in show business or whatever, what I always tell them, and nobody ever takes note of it because it's not the answer they want to have. What they want to hear is, here's how you get an agent. Here's how you write a script. Here's how you do this. But I always say, be so good they can't ignore you. If somebody's thinking, how can I be really good? People are going to come to you. It's much easier doing it that way than going to cocktail parties. End quote. That was from Steve Martin who was amazing as an actor, comedian, realized he didn't want to be a funny guy at 60 years old, so he changed. He's now a very respected, highly regarded banjo player. Goes around on a concert tour, not as a comedian, but as a banjo player. Be undeniably good. Now, I love that principle of just being so good at something, people can't ignore you. And he used to use the banjo as a prop for his comedy routines, and over time, he became really, really good at playing it. So Matt, my question is, identify an area in which you are undeniably good. Dr. Martin Luther King once said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Now at our Innovate Conference, the one we got coming up in September, Scott Stearman is going to be here. You've heard me talk about Scott. He's an internationally known sculptor. He's going to set up right here inside the sanctuary where in the two days of the live event, he'll start with a great big block of clay and he will sculpt a totally original 48 Days Eagle. And we're going to have, you know, 30, 36 inch wingspan. This is a big eagle. Now, Scott does 
major commissions for foundations, universities, governments, you're probably getting sixty to $80,000 on average on his pieces. But he just focuses in. This is what he's going to do. So he's not just sitting on a park bench on Saturday mornings whittling something. No, he gets commissions for these major pieces because that's what he focuses on is doing that. So you've got to do that. You've got to, in as much as you have the ability to do a lot of these things, you got to decide what is going to be my focus and how can I be so good they can't ignore me? That's your challenge. Keep me posted on that process. Let me grab one more. John says, Dan, thanks for the awesome products podcast. I've been listening to you for a couple of years now. This last podcast, you talked about a guy that transitioned from construction into accounting. Now listen carefully to this question. Okay. He says, John says, I'm in the same situation he was. I'm 32 working in the construction industry, drafting mostly, and have been working on a bachelor degree in accounting with only five classes left until I'm finished to hear his success has inspired me. And I was wondering if you had more specific details about what he did to be able to get a job based only on an introduction letter. Well, now what John is referring to was a couple of weeks ago, we had a note from Joseph Brown who said, I'm adult student changing fields from construction to accounting. I'm in my last year of school and I'm looking for an entry level position in my new field. I bought and read your books. I followed your system. I carefully researched 20 firms, sent out introduction letters. Then several days later, I sent out cover letters with resumes before I've had a chance to start calling them. I had two of them contact me for interviews and after interviewing received two job offers. I'm excited to accept the second of the two offers. I believe it is exactly what I'm looking for in my dream job. So my point is this wasn't just a walk in the park. What Joseph did was very strategic. He was in construction, but he worked to get his accounting degree. And as he was approaching the end of that, then he went into a very strategically laid out job search process. He sent out his 20, he he researched 20 firms, sent out introduction letters, then sent out cover letters and resumes, letting them know that he would be following up with a phone call. That's where he got into his conundrum because he had such immediate response to that with job offers that he thought, is he obligated now to go ahead and make the phone calls anyway? And I said, yeah, go ahead and do that. It'll position you professionally in a way that may benefit you some in some way down the road. So that's the thing to do, John, in your question, just do exactly what he did. If you're in that same situation, you're finishing your bachelor's degree in accounting, only five classes left, just start your job search. Go through the 48 days job search, just like Joseph laid out so clearly. Identify target companies, send out your introduction letter, then the cover letter and resume, then the phone follow-up. Boom, you're going to get results just as he did. Well, let me do kind of a recap. Here's one one of the things that we've talked about today that is a really important point. If you have a clear sense of what you want your life to look like three years from now, it'll help you handle the little daily challenges we all face. See, it's in thinking that what we're seeing now is all there is that we get discouraged. I mean, Viktor Frankl in writing his book, Man's Search for Meaning, said the people who died in the concentration camps were not the ones who were least healthy or had had the least to eat or anything. They were the ones who thought this is all there is. 
It was those who be who remained confident there's something up ahead. This is going to change that we're able to live through the atrocities there and go on to a better life. Be clear on what it is you want your life to look like three years from now. You can handle anything today. Second point, remember, it's easy to be a critic, but hard to be a creator. And another point, you can get paid for preaching by letting your great work be the delivery of your message. Oh, man, I love those kind of questions. Well, hey, keep in mind, get involved. Check out the 48days.net community. I mean, that is an amazing group of people that's growing all the time. And, and I, I mean, I don't have a direct incentive for having you involved there. I just see what's happening and seeing that those are the people who really are putting legs in their dreams. They're sharing ideas together, encouraging other people, and everybody is having more success as a result. Hey, check out our upcoming events. You've heard me talk about Innovate. Ashley says it's filling up way too quickly. It's not till September. We're almost full already. She says we need to schedule another one. I'm saying, man, my year's full. That's it. We're, that, that's going to be it for the year. So if you're interested, check that out. Coaching Mastery, we've got two spots left in that for the remainder of the year. You can check that out. If you're interested in coaching and going to a high level in that, we've got 18 people in there. I told her we'd kind of cap that at 20 for the year because we work with them individually. Have a great week as you continue finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable.